Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Over the years, I uh, was taught a slogan by a mentor, a friend of mine, who was older than myself. Uh, he taught me this little troublesome little idiom that he uses in business. Um, he's a successful venture capitalist, um, and when I was young in ministry, uh, he would pull me aside and try to give me business smarts. And uh, this one thing he told me, he says, you know, as a leader, Packy, that's what they used to call me, Packy, um, you know, Packy, as a leader, you are going to have to ask of yourself and of your organization this important question from time to time. And I said, well, Larry, what's, what's that? And he says, am I majoring in the minors and minoring in the majors? Am I majoring in the minors and minoring in the majors? In other words, Larry's words were, uh, in a sense, that one's personal or organizational leadership, in the midst of it, we are to pause and ask if um, we are spending the majority of our time on meaningless, trivial things spending a majority of our time, our resources, our creativity on the minor things? And are we investing too little of that time, those resources, and that creativity on, 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 on the major things? I mean, are we focusing on the trivial or are we investing in the major? In our case, as a church, it's, a, it's a, an important question. Are we majoring in the minors and minoring in the majors? Are we minoring on the needed beneficial things that are required in our community? Are we minoring on the beneficial major things in the community? Friends, you see, it's all about a question of stopping to evaluate whether one's expressed values are truly matching and aligning up with our expressed actions. Does our inner world match our outer world in the way we live our outer world? Our text this morning is one that is an ancient example of God asking the people in the southern kingdom of Judah whether their lives in worship and as a people of God, whether their lives express the values of their God or do their lives and actions and their worship express more the actions of the culture. See, the deal is this. God already knows the answer. And so our text from Isaiah 1 is God's way of declaring to the people of Judah, the southern, uh, southern is a country of Judah because Israel was in the north, Judah to the south. Israel's already been taken away in exile. Judah was lining up to be taken into exile. God is declaring to the people of Judah, your lives, your worship, your very community is majoring in the minor things of the law and in my life. And you are minoring in the major things, the life-giving things, and what it means to be my people. God was not a happy camper. So listen to the opening words from the prophet in chapter, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, which sets the timeline and the scene, and then we will pick up with verse 10 through 20 
which is the meat of the text. Listen to the word of the Lord. The vision of Isaiah, son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So in other words, we are being placed in a time frame around 750 to 780 before the time of Jesus. Hear the word of the Lord. You rulers of Sodom, listen to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multiple or the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings to me is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation and worship services, I cannot endure your solemn assemblies with sin. Your new moons and your, new, and your appointed festivals, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing with them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from your doings before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now, let's argue it out. Says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the hard word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks, God. <laughs> Yay. Woo-hoo. This was written during a very unstable political period when wars and rumors of war were swirling. As I'd mentioned, the northern um, nations of Israel have been taken into captivity already, and people were circling, countries were circling like vultures around the southern country of Judah, and Jerusalem was the capital. Um, the prophets of God were trying to forestall a calamity. And if you remember, a prophet is one who speaks not only things of the future, but a prophet more often speaks truth. He's a truth teller. She's a truth teller. And that's what's happening today. The prophet Isaiah is being a truth teller. The kings and the people, you see, were playing fast and loose with their relationship and the covenant they made with God. At best... They were giving God lip service. The prophet Isaiah quickly opens up a diatribe in this courtroom scene. 
And the people of Judah are on trial. This is the scene that's being painted here. I, uh, Isaiah immediately outlines the problems in verses 11 through 17, and then in verses 18 to 20 offers the promise of God if the people will get their act together. And sadly, we know from this side of history, they didn't get their act together. And they were too taken into exile. So what is the problem? What is the problem that Isaiah is identified? identified? You see, in this courtroom scene, God is speaking as the judge. And as the judge goes and compares the leadership and the people of Jerusalem and Judah, he compares them with the inhabitants of those ancient cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, we hear Sodom and Gomorrah and we think about all the sexual escapades and the sin with regards to that. But that's not what we are getting at. You see, Isaiah is not the only prophet that compared the people to Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. We read in Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 49, the prophet Ezekiel addresses the people of Jerusalem near the same time and says, This is the guilt of your sister city, Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. But you did not aid the poor and the needy. You see what the problem is? This was God's charge against the people of Judah. The people were guilty of committing an injustice of a blind eye to the people who needed the care the most. The Torah, and we Christians don't understand this, the Torah, the Jewish law, if you go back and read through the whole Testament, the Torah is pretty, pretty clear that you are to take care of each other as a community. As a Jew, you were to take care of your fellow Jews. You were even, it says in Deuteronomy and those old, Old Testament books, talked about taking care of the alien that is among you. Now, who is the alien? That's the old-fashioned word for migrant. You see, as a part of the fabric of the Torah was the belief that the covenant people of God, because they have been given blessings, are expected to share those blessings with other people. It's acts of justice, mercy, and care. There was a built-in safety net in the Torah, the law, that demanded the community take care of each other. As God showered grace on them, they were to shower grace and protection and provision on others. From their neighboring Jew the migrant in their midst. But unfortunately, we read in our scripture, this was not happening. Everyone was out for themselves. Years ago, I heard businessman and author Ken Blanchard, he wrote The One Minute Manager, um, the book One Minute Manager, and I heard him speak one time about the problem of expressed values that we as individuals hold and the lack of living those values out in real life. Blanchard, who was head of a multi-million dollar company at the time, 
um, believed that all employees of his company should be traded, treated fairly and sincerely. Whether you're the executive vice president, whether you're a member of the board of trustees, or whether you're the night janitor, everybody deserved to be treated the exact same way with dignity and respect. If at any time any employee felt another employee, regardless of rank in the company, felt dishonored or disrespected or abused, that employee could go to that person and say, gap. In other words, there's a gap between your expressed values as an individual and as a company and the way you were treating me. They don't jibe. They're inconsistent. Gap. And so Blanchard had it where anybody in his organization could come straight to his office if they felt that he offended them intentionally, disrespected them, or dishonored them, and they could go in and say, Mr. Blanchard, gap. Mr. Blanchard, you say this, you say this is a value, but when you dealt with me this way, you did not live that out. Gap. Friends, our text today from Isaiah is God telling the people of Jerusalem, gap. There is a huge disconnect between you as a covenant community of faith and what you say you believe and what your worship is suggesting in the way you were treating neighbor. There's a gap. That's why I hate your worship. That's why these incense offerings are obnoxious to me. There's a gap between what you believe and what you are doing. All those special holy day celebrations, all the animals they're needlessly sacrificing mean nothing to God. In God's eyes, their worship was shallow, meaningless. It was tall hat, no saddle, all drive shaft, no engine. There was nothing to it. In God's eyes, there is a gap between what people are expressing in worship with their love and devotion to God and the way that people are treating each other in Jerusalem. People in their own community. There's a gap between the people's celebration of God's provision when there are hungry people in the street. There's a gap between the shows, those shouting, Thank you, Jesus, for all the blessings, and the way the poor are exploited with, exploited with unfair wages, limited housing, and unjust labor practices. There's a gap between how the spiritual community is lifted and celebrated as the highest ideal and the way the people of faith live it out in the everyday life. And sadly, we read in Isaiah, God's sick of it. Literally, it turns God's stomach, that gap. Yet God being God and all offers good news. 
God offers gospel in Isaiah. The Lord says in verses 18 and 19 that if you purify yourselves, that is, if you set yourselves apart from sin and you close that gap in what, with what you say you believe and how you really live your life and love me and your neighbor, if you seek justice for the most vulnerable person in the community, if you defend the orphans and the widows, then your sin will be bleached white. You will prosper. You will enjoy the benefits of the promised land. If your inner compass is directed towards me and your life reflects what you profess and what you say you believe about me, you will prosper. But if you continue to rebel, you, God says, you, Jerusalem, have set your own course for your own demise. You choose. Now, beloved, let's stop right here. Let's pause for some self-reflection. What is our text saying to us as members of Christ's church? What does it say to you as you reflect upon your own professed faith in the Lord God and how you worship and how you serve the beloved lambs of God who are on society's fringes and edges? Our text today, my friends, is a reminder that we are required to have a spiritual examine on our part. We're to reflect on our spiritual life does what we believe, what we say we profess, match how we treat God and treat neighbor? You know, one of the biggest problems in our culture today about separating and making this gap larger is our tendency to compartmentalize our lives. And we get it all wrong. We compartmentalize our family life, our work life, our school life, our work life, our social life, and then the religious life back here. You see, that that's the problem. The greatest gap emerges when we take the spiritual life we place back here and we set it apart, when in reality, the spiritual life should be the womb that encompasses all the other. The spiritual life of ours in our community is the womb that provides nourishment and growth for our family life, our business life, our school life, our social life. Not the other way around. When our spiritual life, my beloved, is not the womb that nourishes and supports and embraces our whole life, we live in a perpetual gap state. There will always be a gap between what we say we believe, what we feel, and how we act with God and others. We will be living our lives, majoring in the minor issues of life that are the least important and minor and treat lightly life's major issues like racism, bigotry, hate, and the erasure of moral boundaries. Our country is adrift. Our worship of God, my beloved, is the drivetrain that provides and propels us into mission in the world. 
If it is not, our discipleship is flat and the church's future, quite frankly, is like that of, the, of, of Jerusalem. It's doomed. The prayers and the songs and the offerings of worship that are beautiful in God's sight are when we actually inconveniently go out of the way to love the orphan, the widow, the homeless, the sick, the other, the lonely, the hungry, the migrant, the Jew, the Muslim, the Republican, and the Democrat. That's the type of worship that turns God's engines. Beloved, what are the gaps in your life? What are the gaps in your spiritual life? Does what you personally value, hold dear, profess, match the way you engage God in the world out there? If not, there's a gap. And Isaiah is calling us to close it. Do what we say that we value as a church match what we are doing in the community and beyond? You see, that's our homework, my beloved. That's our homework for today. It has been nagging and niggling at me all weekend. This text is inconvenient. But now it's time for it to work on you. Where is the gap, or is there a gap in your spiritual life? Pray with me. Holy Spirit of God, we give you thanks and praise for this day, for this time, for this opportunity to come and celebrate you. Lord God, we uh, just ask that you would close the gap. Help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to match our inner world with our outer actions towards you and neighbor. Well, Lord, it's been said that integrity is when our inner world and our outer world are in sync. Lord, fill us with your spirit of integrity and purpose. And all of God's people said, amen.